Lord, that prayer does reflect our heart's desire. We do long to see Jesus. Lord, we long to see the beauty of your Son. And Lord, just to be weaned away from trusting ourselves, weaned off of our own security, our own idols. Lord, to fully and totally be invested into your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we come in this morning looking for sure footing. We come in this morning looking for answers, trying to figure out our lives. And God, we just want to confess to you this morning that we're, we are failing in our own wisdom. We are broken in our own intuition. And so God, we humbly submit before your word this morning and ask for you to speak to us, reveal yourself to us. God, send your Holy Spirit to make the truth come alive in our hearts. God, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear that we might know you and see you and love you and worship you. God, we long this morning more than anything else. We just long to know you and to be in your presence and to hear, to sit at your feet and hear you teach us. And so open up your word to us today. It's in Jesus' name that we worship and pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, so much of what makes life in this world confusing is all of the mixed messages that we constantly receive. Uh, we're bombarded with talk shows and advertisements and political appeals and uh, advice from family and friends who happen to be experts because they watched a YouTube video. Right? All day long, you and I are being bombarded with messages. And on the surface, this overload of communication maybe seems harmless. But when we really step back and think about it, the difference between enjoying abundant life and actually crashing and burning will be who we choose to listen to. Uh, one of my favorite TV shows has become Survivor. Uh, one of the challenges I've seen many, many times now after watching a lot of seasons is there's this challenge when a number of the team members will be blindfolded. And then what they have to do is they have to pick one of their team to stand up on a platform and to tell them what to do, right? There's some obstacle course, some task that they have to perform. And, and if they had their eyesight, if they weren't blindfolded, these tasks or these obstacle courses would be no problem. But when you have to transfer the, your senses to someone else, when you have to transfer your sense of direction to someone else, it's inevitable that chaos is going to ensue. And so the task always seems simple enough, and the thing starts, and all of a sudden, a, a number of people just start yelling out orders, up, down, left, right. And it is very entertaining television. As people knock into each other and fall on their faces and get all these bumps and bruises, we see how important it is to listen to the right voice. When we lose that sense of sight, to then transfer it to someone else who can see clearly, who does know the course, who can show us the way. Um, Christians are people who have acknowledged that we actually don't understand life. 
We are people who have, who have acknowledged that our senses and our intuition has failed us. We are, the, we are people who say that we might as well be blindfolded in this life. And so we totally and completely cast ourselves upon the Word of God. That if you and I are going to understand life, if you and I are going to understand how to navigate this world in which we find ourselves in, it will only be following a message from heaven. Um, I, don't, I don't think I have to convince you this morning that we live in a chaotic and confusing world. Right? I don't think I have to convince you that it is hard to figure out what to do and how to do it and what path leads to the right outcome that we want in life. I don't think I have to convince you of that. My hope this morning is that you and I both, we all came in here desperate enough and honest enough that the, the trying life in our own wisdom isn't working, that we would actually be willing to humble ourselves and open ourselves up to life according to God's word. That we would come in here this morning admitting that as we continue to try in our own wisdom, we just continue to fall on our face. And so we are desperate for the word of God. Uh, what we're going to see today, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. And what we're going to see is this. This is kind of a one-sentence summary of, of the whole message today. This is what we're going to see. God has spoken. And the only way that you and I will survive in this chaotic and confusing world is to cling wholeheartedly to all that God has said. So if you have a Bible, I would like to invite you to open up to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 16 to 21 together. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be uh, following along on the screen. I would love for you to read along with me um, as I read. So this is 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So, uh, instead of working chronologically through the passage today, we're actually going to work logically through the passage. So we're actually going to start from the bottom and work our way back to the top. And here's the big question that Peter is going to be seeking to answer logically. He is going to be seeking to, this, seeking to answer this question. Why should we cling wholeheartedly to the Word of God? 
Why should we cling wholeheartedly to the Word of God? Three reasons. First, this morning, from verse 21, God has spoken with authority. God has spoken with authority. I know we just read it, but let me read verse 21 again. It says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where some orders were given you, someone told you something to do, and the first thought that crossed your mind was, says who? And now, depending on what comes out of that person's mouth next, will determine whether or not you do what they're telling you to do, or whether or not you slough off what they're telling you to do. If one per- person's, one particular name comes out of their mouth, your response is going to be, I ain't doing that. But if another person's name comes out of their mouth, your response is going to be, okay, sounds good, I'm on it. Peter's trying to show us this morning that this message, he says in, in, in the verse there, it wasn't produced by the will of man. If what we have here, if this message from God, if it came from man then you and I can take it or leave it. If, this, if the origins of the Word of God are from the will of man, then you and I have every right to step back and say, nope, not for me, I'm not taking that. But if this Word is from God, then we are bound to receive it with all authority. I love how Peter's explaining to us a little bit. He's opening up for us a little bit of the mystery of how we got the Bible. Um, He's teaching us that, yes, there were human authors, and the human authors were saying what they wanted to say in their language and and through their personality. But this is what Peter says. He said, these men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So at all times, when you and I are reading the Bible, we're listening to the Bible, we must know that there are at the same time two authors. There's the human author who is, yes, saying what they want to say, but underneath the human author is the divine author, the Holy Spirit, who carried these men along so that they were, as they were writing, as they were speaking, they were speaking the words of God. The reason that you and I cling to the word of God with authority is because it is God who has spoken. Now, I get it, the idea of authority is a little bit scary for us. Authority is not always something that you and I want in our lives. But I think we would admit this, I think we would at least admit this, that most of the times in life, it is better to have the expert on something than to try to do it yourself. And uh, let me try to give an example. For a very, very few of you, this example won't make sense, but for for the vast majority of us, I think this will make sense. When my car starts having trouble, or my car seems to break down, this is what I do. I go out, I pop the hood, and I get all serious, and I start looking around, and I start poking on things, and I start, you know, just really, hmm, yeah, hmm, hmm, yeah, I start, you know, trying to, trying to figure it all out. But in all reality, I have absolutely no clue what I'm looking at. I might as well be at NASA examining a rocket ship. What I need in that moment is for someone who is an expert on cars to come and help me. Someone who doesn't just see a bunch of random jumbled wires and tubes running back and forth, but someone who actually understands how the car was put together and how the car runs and how the car can be fixed after it has been broken. And guys, this morning, Peter's trying to tell us that we have the word of God, the God who made the universe. The God who understands 
our world, the God who understands our hearts, the God who knows how to put us back together again after we have made a mess of our lives, why would we not want that authority in our lives? Why would we not want His expertise to come help us fix the mess that we have made? Uh, John Calvin, he's a guy who died a long, long time ago. Uh, He said it like this. He said, Bright, however, as is the manifestation which God gives both of Himself and His immortal kingdom in the mirror of His work. So pause for a second. These are my words. If you just look around in creation, you should be able to see that God exists and that He's awesome. Okay? Now, back to John Calvin. So great is our stupidity, so dull are we in regard to these bright manifestations that we derive no benefit from them. Hence, it is not strange that those who are born in darkness become more and more hardened in their stupidity because the vast majority, instead of listening to the word, exult in their own vanity. Pause. My words again. Vanity is why I go outside and pop the hood of my car and act like I might actually be able to do something. And vanity is why you and I try to figure out our lives thinking that we can do it without the Word of God. Back to Calvin one more time. If true religion is to beam upon us, our principle must be that it is necessary to begin with heavenly teaching and that it is impossible for any man to obtain even the minutest portion of right and sound doctrine without being a disciple of Scripture. Hence, the first step in true knowledge is taken when we reverently embrace the testimony which God has been pleased therein to give of Himself. Listen, guys, I am not calling us stupid. John Calvin is calling us stupid. But he's not wrong. The first step in understanding our world is to come up underneath the authority of the one who made it. And he has so clearly expressed himself in his word. Why would we refuse the word of God? See, it's correct. This question says who? That is a great question for us to always ask in life. But when the answer is, says God, then the only appropriate response from us is, sounds good. And when the Word of God does contradict us, and it will, we don't seek to change the Word, we change ourselves. The first step in faith to acknowledge the authority of the Word, and then out from the wonders of His Word, we then begin to figure out all the rest of life. So working logically, we start with authority. Second, we cling to God's Word. We cling to God's Word because God has spoken with clarity. God has spoken with clarity. We're going to jump now to verses 17 and 18. This is what Peter writes. He says, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, 
And the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter's taken us back to a specific moment in his life. He and James and John had the opportunity to go with Jesus up on a mountain, and they saw Jesus transfigured. His appearance was changed. God the Father gave Jesus a little preview of the glory that would be his after his death and resurrection. And Peter was an eyewitness of this event. He actually saw this take place. But here's a question or a thought that I'm sure you've had before. I'm sure you're like me and, and, and you've, you've thought this before. You said to yourself, I just wish that I could have been there. I just wish that I could go back and have actually seen the miracles and witnessed the wonders. And if I had been there, I would believe more fully. I would lose all my doubts. I would, I would, I would be willing to commit myself fully to Jesus if I could have just been there and seen it with my own eyes. But here's the problem. There were many many people who did see the miracles and wonders and who did not believe. There were many, many people who witnessed Jesus do things that only God could do, and yet they did not worship Him, follow Him, or trust Him. So why is that? Well, here's one answer. One answer is this, events must always be interpreted. Just to see something is important, but to understand what you are seeing might actually be harder than we initially think. Uh, Here's how this works. Uh, You're at a football game, maybe let's say a college football game. And a player goes up near the sideline, and he makes this catch, and he comes down right near the line. Now, at that moment, simultaneously, 30,000 people start going like this. They're saying, he caught it, he caught it, he caught it. And 30 more thousand people start saying, he was out of bounds, he was out of bounds. They all saw the same event. But an event is not self-interpreting. I love it. We're studying Acts right now on Sunday nights in our Sunday seminar. And we were studying about Pentecost the other day, about when God showed up in this miraculous way in the power of His Holy Spirit. You know, there were people that day, when they saw that happening, their interpretation of it was, these people are drunk. But those same people who thought that the disciples of Jesus were drunk a few minutes later, would actually believe in Jesus. What happened? How did they go from thinking that this was a bunch of drunk people to seeing that this was actually the power of God? The the way they got there was Peter stood up and he explained, he interpreted through the Scriptures what was actually taking place. That the event itself just looked like chaos, but it was the interpretation of the event that gave it clarity. And that, guys, is why Peter continues in verse 19. Look at it. In verse 19, and then we're going to kind of jump ahead to 20. 
he says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Now skip to verse 20. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. There is something more clear, more trustworthy than eyewitness perspective. It is God-interpreted eyewitness perspective. And that is what we have in the Bible. Peter actually says, Hey guys, I was there. I saw this really awesome thing. But what you have in your Bible is actually more fully confirmed. Why? Because you're not scratching your head like I was that day, wondering what in the world did I just see? We have interpreted truth from God in His Word. Now, I don't want to give the wrong impression. Uh, the clarity of Scripture can be something that's a little confusing. What we're not saying here today is that every single part of Scripture is as clear as every single other part of Scripture. In fact, if you hang with us through the book of 2 Peter, you'll see that in chapter 3, Peter actually says to the Apostle Paul that he says some things that are hard to understand. So what does it mean? What does this mean that the Scriptures are, have been delivered in a clear way? Well, the 1689 Baptist Confession gives me some help. It helps me understand what this means when it says this. It says, Some things in Scripture are clearer than others, and some people understand the teachings more clearly than others. However, the things that must be known, believed, and obeyed for salvation are so clearly set forth and explained in one part of Scripture or another that both the educated and uneducated may achieve a sufficient understanding of them by properly using ordinary means. In other words, the Bible is a deep book. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that the, when God reveals himself and he reveals his plan for the world and he shows us the depths of what it took to save us from our sins, aren't you glad that it might actually be deeper than we are? And yet... In the power of the Holy Spirit, a three-year-old can understand what is necessary to have faith in Jesus. God is not hiding from us. God is not withholding His truth from us. God has made His truth so clear that it will be declared from the mouths of babes and yet, for the rest of your life, you could continue to drown in its depths. Here's my heart for us today. My heart is for you and I to leave here believing that we in no way have a second-rate faith because we know God through the Bible rather than having lived in the past when those events occurred. Not only do we not have a second-rate faith, but if I'm reading Peter right here, we might actually have an advantage. Because not only are we privy to the, the factual history of what happened, but we also have God's interpretation of what happened. So, here's a really practical step. Um, if you're somebody who's... Uh, jumped into reading the Bible, and maybe you felt a little overwhelmed by it. 
Maybe you've gotten into this book and you realize it, it's a lot. My first encouragement to you is this. That's actually an appropriate response. It should humble us, the depth of what God has revealed. But here's a second thing. Uh, we've started this year something that we are calling coaching. It's an opportunity for you to meet with someone else in the church and actually learn the basics of what it means to walk with God. Guys, we all need help in understanding how to read the Bible. The people who have helped me learn to read the Bible are people that I love dearly and thank dearly because that skill was, I would say, is the most important skill that I've ever been taught. And so I don't care if you aren't even a Christian yet or if you've been walking with God for 40 years, if you want a little bit of help reading your Bible and walking with God, you can do one of three things. You can go on the website, click down Discipleship tab. There's a button that says Coaching. Click it. Fill it out. Second way you can get coaching, on our app, you download the Church Center app. Right on the front page, boom, Coaching. Hit it. Fill it out. And if you're like, you didn't explain that well, technology's not my thing, here's the third way. Come talk to me after the service, okay? I would love for all of us to admit that we need help and ask for help and then get help in seeing the wonders of what God has revealed in Scripture. All right, so again, we're working logically back up through the passage. And so this morning, finally, we get to what I think is actually Peter's main point. This is the main idea behind this whole paragraph. In verse 16, we see this third, that God has spoken with certainty. God has spoken with certainty. Verse 16 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So, all the other communication in the world, the communication that you are constantly bombarded with all day long, every single message is fallible. At best, those messages are subject to change, but not this word from God, not this message from God. This message from God has lasted through the ages. It is time-tested. It is the only thing in the world that is 100% certain. You cannot find that anywhere else or in anything else other than the message from God in His word. When I look around at what's happening in our world today, this is what I see. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus tells this parable. It's just a one-verse parable. Just one verse. But I think it, it could be written like a banner over our age. In Luke 6.39, it says, He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Think back to how we started the sermon. This little you know, game on Survivor. People are blindfolded and they're being told what to do. Now imagine if the person telling them what to do was also blindfolded. I mean, how utterly ridiculous would that be? Guys, we've been given God's 
vision from heaven. We have been given His Word. And yet so many times we settle to allow our lives to be led by other blind people. We go running after something after the advice or the message of somebody who is just as blind as we are. The blind leading the blind. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, um, here's something I want you to consider. Science is constantly changing. Philosophy is constantly changing. Ethics are constantly changing. Trends are constantly changing. Guys, listen. Our own opinions are constantly changing. But the Word of God has never and will never change. It is constant and steadfast. And here's the other thing. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, see that in God's goodness and in His grace to send us the written Word, we see a mirror reflection of His goodness and grace to send the living Word, Jesus. But the reason God has given us the Scriptures is so that we might know this Savior whom He sent to live and die and rise from the dead so that you and I might have life in His name. Would you today... In, in view of how constantly changing every other thing is in your life, would you today transfer your trust from that which is changing to the one who will never change, to the one whose word will never change? Could you renounce trust in yourself and plant your feet firmly on the rock that is the Word of God which leads us to the living Word, Jesus Christ. I want to um, take a few minutes and do something a little different. Um, as, I, as I read this passage over and over and over again this week, it just hit me how deep just these six verses are. And I was thinking about how important certainty is for anchoring our lives, for how important certainty is for giving us a foothold when everything else seems to be moving and crashing around us. And as I just read this passage over and over and over again, there was actually more than this, but there were at least a dozen things that just sort of popped out from the text to me, and I just thought, wow. If all I had for the rest of my life were these six verses, I would actually take that over all the other communication out there in the world. These six verses could anchor my life to something that is more real, more weighty than any other thing I could find in the world. And so I just want to show you, feel free, if you want to try to take notes on this, by all means, go for it. But I, if, more than anything, I just want you to feel how awesome and deep and wonderful the Word of God is. And so here we go. Six verses, 
a dozen things that have the ability to give weight to our lives. First, if you want to follow along, first, Peter mentions the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus gives weight to my life because it reminds me that there is nothing that is impossible for my Lord. My sin was not more powerful than Jesus. My enemies are not more powerful than Jesus. And death itself was not more powerful than Jesus. And that gives weight to my life. Secondly, Peter mentions the coming of Jesus. When he says the coming of Jesus, he's talking about both the first and the second coming of Jesus. But in both cases, it's the fact that Jesus has entered into history, that he has come into the world. And that gives weight to my life because it reveals to me that God loves me. It shows me that the path to greatness is actually one of descent down into service. And it shows me that at the end of history, the person who will get the last word will be Jesus. Third, in this little section, Peter calls Jesus Lord. Jesus isn't Peter's life coach. He isn't his motivational speaker. He isn't Peter's therapist. And he certainly isn't Peter's fortune cookie. Jesus is Peter's Lord. Which means that you and I actually have a genuine leader to follow. The one who demands everything from us is none other than the one who has given everything for us. Isn't that the kind of Lord that you would happily want to submit to? Peter, fourth, calls Jesus Christ. Christ simply means Messiah. Uh, The Messiahship of Jesus gives weight to my life. Because it reminds me that I don't save myself and I can't save anybody else. Salvation is found in Christ alone. There's only one Messiah. Fifth, Peter says that he witnessed the majesty, the honor, and the glory of Jesus. The majesty of Jesus puts weight into my life because it keeps me from worshiping the wrong things. When I'm filled with wonder and awe of Jesus I'm no longer enticed to serve and submit to the false idols of this world. And when I'm filled with the wonder of Jesus, I no longer have to live my life constantly seeking the approval of others. Sixth, Peter tells us, he reveals to us the fatherhood of God. He talks about God the Father. As James 1.17 puts it, every good gift and every perfect gift It's from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The fatherhood of God puts weight into my life because it reminds me that there is a Father who knows what I need before I could ever think to ask. There is a Father who knows every single hair on my head. There is a Father who has adopted me into His family simply because He wanted to. Seventh, Peter tells us where the pleasure of God rests. In this little verse, he says, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. I get weight in my life from knowing what God wants from me. I don't wake up every morning thinking to myself, Hmm, I wonder what God wants from my life. What God wants is for me to listen to Jesus, for me to trust Jesus, and for me to reflect Jesus. That's not a guessing game. Eighth, I love how he squeaks in here. Peter talks, us, talks to us about heaven in this section. That while everything around me might be falling apart, 
there is always someone working behind the scenes in my life that there's a God who's actually listening to my prayers, that there's a God who's actually getting involved and intervening in my life, and that Jesus has promised to go and prepare a place for his people. Does that not give weight to our lives? Ninth, Peter displays for us the wisdom and goodness of biblical commands. I love how in verse 19, I love the way Peter sneaks in a command, but in the way he says it, it shows us something about it. He says, to which you will do well to pay attention. That's his way of saying, you must pay attention, but everything that's in the Bible telling you what you must do is actually for your good. You would do well. You would actually do better if you did what he said. That gives weight to our lives, even when we don't like it. Tenth, Peter tells us about the dawning of the day. In verse 19, the dawning of the day. What's he saying? He's saying that one day, Jesus is going to return. He's going to establish his kingdom on the earth. And that for all of the hard, difficult, sad days we have, when Jesus comes, it will so far eclipse all of it that whatever we experienced that, was, that we would categorize as suffering was actually just raising the bar on our pleasure forever. That all the shame, all the suffering, when Jesus returns, will simply dissolve away as the day dawns. Eleventh, Peter tells us that the morning star will rise in our hearts. The morning star throughout the whole Bible is Jesus. And this puts weight into my life because it teaches me that although I'm not as far along as I want to be, God has promised that one day Jesus will fully consume my heart. One day I won't have to grow anymore because I will be totally, fully conformed into the image of the morning star. He will have arisen in our hearts. And then finally, this is probably my favorite one. I love how just in these six verses, Peter reveals to us the triunity of God. He talks about God the Father. He talks about God the Son. And he talks about God the Holy Spirit. That you and I, we confess one God who has eternally existed in three persons. And this gives weight to my life because it means that God does not need me to be happy. God was totally, fully, completely sufficient in and of himself, which means that everything that comes to me is an overflow of his love and goodness and grace. God did not make us because he was deficient in anything. He made us because he was just overflowing with abundance. And I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. So in just these six verses, I hope you see, hope you see that the Bible is full of a wealth of riches. You know, my desire is that you and I would want to dive headfirst into the Bible, not just because we ought to, but because what we have in this word is enough to anchor our lives to reality when everything else seems to be turning upside down all around us. So this is what God has done, that he's spoken to us and given us such a clear and abiding word. Then in conclusion this morning, I just want to land in verse 19. I want to land in verse 19 because Peter actually gives us the application. He tells us what he wants us to do. If this is true, 
that God has spoken with authority and clarity and certainty, what should our response be? Here's what he says in the middle of verse 19. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. One day, guys, this is pretty crazy. There will come a day when you and I will no longer need the Bible. God's immediate presence will be so wonderfully close that we will no longer have to walk by faith in the book that He has given us. And that is going to be an awesome day. But until that day, our only hope for survival in this world of darkness is to pay attention to what He has said as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Without this word, it is just the blind leading the blind. And isn't that obvious? (laughs) Look around. My goodness, we are so foolish. And so what does this paying attention mean? Quickly, three things about what this paying attention means. How do we do this? First, we consume the Word. We consume the Word. Every day, we take it in. We feed on it. We ingest it. As Jesus says in Matthew 4.4, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We eat it. We consume it. It gets into us. Secondly, we must conform to the word, right? It's good to take it in. It's good to consume it. But it only actually begins to do us good as it, as it, as it comes to shape our lives. Uh, a few months ago, Allie and I bought this Uh, exercise bike, and it haunts me every night. It sits beside our bed. I can tell you who made it. I can tell you why it's a good bike. I even had to take it apart and put it back together once because our son dropped a Lego in it. But this is what I've learned about that exercise bike. It only helps if you ride it. And the Bible is the same way. It's great to know what it says. It's great to have a, a good knowledge of the Bible. But it only actually helps us as it begins to shape and form our lives. Third, we must cling to the Word. We consume it, we conform to it, and we cling to it. It's promises, it's commands, it's doctrines. As the sands of time shift, this is the one thing that we are sure will never change. I just want to encourage you this morning. Um, I know that when it comes to the Bible, um, there's a lot of shame. Because for most of us, I think we pretty much know that we don't give it enough time. Uh, We pretty much know that we're disappointed with doing what we know we ought to do. And so I just want to encourage you with this final thought. Reading the Bible is not some exercise by where we put notches on our spiritual belt. 
reading the Bible in and of itself is not this ladder that every time we read it, we're just climbing a little higher into the good graces of God. The reason that we give ourselves to the Word is because we can't survive without it. It's not about being a better person because you do it. It's you're starving. You're, you're, you know your life is just a mess. You know, we know we tried it. We tried it our own way. And it's just, we need God. And we read it because we know that in this word, in this written word, we meet the living word. The one in whose salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. It is in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, and it is found nowhere else but in Scripture alone. So I commend you, dive in, not just because we ought to, but because it is our pleasure to enjoy this great gift from God. Let's pray. Lord, I'm sure, I'm sure there is shame in hearts for neglecting your word. Lord, and in one sense, if that drives us to Jesus, then that's a good thing. But I pray this morning that no one would wallow, no one would feel defeated, no one would feel discouraged, but Lord, that we would be impassioned, that we would be enlivened, awakened to long for your word, to crave your word, and to throw our lives completely into your word. God, thank you for this precious gift. Thank you for not leaving us in the darkness, but for giving us the light of your word that leads us to Jesus, who is the light of the world. Lord, we're so thankful today for your goodness towards us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.